our call to worship uh, are from the words of Betz, Betz Warnicke. As we gather together this morning, may we learn to recognize and affirm the pieces of possibility, the bits of good we bring. May we encourage rather than control, love rather than possess, enable rather than envy, allowing our individual gifts to weave a patchwork of peace, the soft deep blue of sensitivity and understanding, the red energy of creativity, the white heat of convictions, the risky fragile green of new growth, the golden flashes of gratitude, the warm rose of love. Each of us is indispensable. If we are to minister to a broken and wounded world, together in our gathered diversity, we form the whole. So be it. The reading I've chosen for this morning is a small excerpt from the 2018 Ware Lecture given by Brittany Packnett at this year's uh, General Assembly in Kansas City. That's our uh, denomination's annual meeting. If you have not heard this speech, I highly encourage you to listen to the full uh, speech. It's a, you just have to Google her name or the 2018 Ware Lecture and it will come up. The video will come up. The truth is that too often the idea that marginalized people cannot and should not expect to be fully and sincerely included in the fabric of our communities is often reinforced by each of us. By what we say, by what we don't say, by where we show up, by where we don't show up, by who we defend, and by who we punish, by the side on which we stand by the excuses we make for ourselves and the excuses we won't allow from others, by the changes we make room for and by the evolutions we deem too fast, too revolutionary, or too soon. We get those indications by the people we elevate and by the people we reject, by the movements we call divisive, by the pace we want to set for the freedom of others by the individual actions we take to either disrupt or uphold the systems that harm us. All of those moments, all of those choices and more, tell marginalized people exactly what we think of their humanity, their dignity, and their daring. Each of those choices tells me exactly what you think of my expectations. Each one of those moments of action or inaction tells me precisely what you think of my right to have any expectations at all. So at, at this last General Assembly, uh, there was a change that I noticed. For several years, there's always been a handful of small restrooms that were in back corners that were converted from gender-specific to all-gender. The change at this GA, though, in June, I don't know if was anybody, was anyone there as well? Okay, just me. <laughs> what well, was a big change? Because instead of there being small bathrooms in back corners down hallways, they actually changed the largest, biggest and closest to the action restrooms to all gender. You could use either. My reaction to this was, isn't this wonderful? Finally, my denomination is 
clearly and concretely centering on trans and non-binary people. This made me really proud to be a UU. But then, when I entered the restrooms, I found all the urinals covered in plastic. Not being able to use them annoyed me. I knew I shouldn't be annoyed, but I was. Over the next several days, I struggled with the discrepancy between my feelings and my self-perception of being an ally of trans and non-binary people. Now, to address those feelings, I do what most of us do. I first just try to ignore them. But that didn't work. I then tried justifying them. You know, I was a little, I'm, I'm legitimately annoyed because for me, the, the urinal is easier. Or look, now people have to line up. Or look how dirty the stalls are becoming. I even tried to shift the blame for my uncomfortable feelings onto the organizers since shouldn't they have posted something to explain why this was done? Now at the same time I was dealing with these feelings, I also was trying to find out the actual reasons that this change was made. Thankfully I knew not to go directly to a trans or non-binary individual. In the past I'd made that mistake, looking to someone most affected by a particular oppression to educate me, or worse, help me through my ugly feelings. Maria is one of those people. So I tried asking a UUA staff member. But he only had a theory. His theory was that the urinals had been covered to avoid the possible sense of inadequacy a trans man might have by not being able to use the urinals. But what did I hear? That this was most likely done to address a possible sense of inadequacy that a trans man might experience. Why was I being inconvenienced for something that was only possibly and might be experienced. Still searching for answers, I attended the Centering Trans Workshop. Instead of getting an answer about urinals, however, I got something better. New perspective. New perspective that could only come from hearing the lived experiences of transgender and non-binary individuals. For instance, one person spoke about how many of the conversations they have with others end up focusing on what genitals they have, and by extension, what restrooms. As a gay man, I can relate to this. Most of the conversations I've had with individuals grappling with homosexuality, even those trying to be my ally, fixated almost entirely on sexual acts. It can be tiresome, exhausting, and sometimes hurtful. Thankfully, this happens less and less as more people are exposed to gay men and women. Needless to say, I didn't bring up the question of the urinals at the workshop, even though I probably could have. That same evening, Saturday, Brittany Packnett delivered the 2018 Wear Lecture. Uh, the, the part that I just gave is one small part of, of, the, of the lecture. And when I heard her, I heard a prophet speak. This prophet named the many systems of oppression that plague and permeate not only our wider society, but also our denomination and our congregations. And if I'm honest, me personally. This prophet named behaviors and attitudes that sustain and perpetuate those systems and how they do that. 
But like the biblical prophets, this prophet's purpose wasn't simply to call us out, but to call us back, back into relationship, into covenant, particularly with those who've been marginalized. This prophet called us to move from the arm's length relationship of an ally to the mutual relationship of being an accomplice. An accomplice is someone who engages directly with those who've been marginalized, listening to what they tell us is needed and how they need us to act. Packnett began her lecture by framing systemic oppression through the lens of expectation, specifically the difference between my expectations and those who've been marginalized. Reflecting on this and what I had been experiencing, I realized that my reaction to the urinals showed that I expect the world to be configured to meet my needs. Not only that, I expect to be able to challenge decisions made by those in power, and that those in power will actually listen to me. But that's not true for those who have been marginalized. Their experiences vastly differ from mine, and those experiences have shaped what they can expect. The world is neither designed for their needs, and to challenge the way things are comes at significant risk. What, what Patnick taught me is that only privileged Americans expect the promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Privileged narratives like these are seductive. They lead us to the belief that one's own experiences are not only normal, but universal. We don't bother to listen to the experiences of others, particularly those who've been oppressed. Worse, these narratives often deny the experiences of marginalized people. If we use our honest, as we've recently been trying to do, even our cherished principles are nothing more than aspirational statements. They're not who we are, at least not yet. At GA this year, a further attempt was made at centering those who've been marginalized. But was it successful? In previous years, a trans or non-binary person might have had to hunt for a restroom labeled all gender, but when they found one, it, it was probably all gender. This year, there were again restrooms labeled all gender, but in actual practice, they weren't. Only a handful of people actually crossed the gender divide. Most continued to head to the restroom normally labeled male or female. Now, it's probably safe to say that most of these same UUs at GA think and feel that people of all gender identities and expressions both belong in our denomination and are needed. But as Sharon Welch in The Feminist Ethic of Risk warns, thinking and feeling, no matter how profound and subtle, are not actions. They may lead to action, but in themselves, they mean little. A number of years ago, this congregation became a welcoming congregation. You may have participated in the steps required to gain that certification from our denomination. And going through that process, this congregation made a commitment to, quote, publicly and successfully welcome bisexual, gay, lesbian, and transgender people. Now, all of the congregations I've had the privilege of being a member of 
have been welcoming congregations, and all of them have surpassed my expectations of what that means. However, in addition to being a gay man, I'm also white, tall, able-bodied, well-educated, middle-aged, Canadian, and more. <laughs> From our perspective of our wider culture, I'm almost perfect. Thankfully, many of you have been working hard to undo our wider culture's conditioning, to see the wholeness in their fellow human beings, no matter who they are. My Christian heritage taught me to look for the image of God in the other, but I fail, often, more than I want to admit and know. And G.A. reminded me. So I'll ask you what I've been asking myself. Would a trans or non-binary person receive, this, receive the same level of welcome in our congregations as I do? Would her, his, or their expectations be met or exceeded as mine have been? I fear and suspect that the answer is no. But in fact, I don't know. And I can't. I can't guess. I can't try to think what I would expect if I was trans or non-binary, because I'm not. The charge I received from Patnik was to go find out. Until I do, how can I expect my fellow UUs to trust me as someone committed to actually ending the oppression they experience? But I want to be clear, that's not why I should do this. I shouldn't do this to liberate others but to liberate myself. Imagine what it would be like if we were all liberated from the tyranny of the gender binary. No more limits on what is appropriate for one half of us and not the other. No gender disparities in pay or opportunities. No limits on your emotional, re on your emotional expression. I can cry without being called a wimp, and you can be assertive and not be called a bitch. But doing this work can stir up a lot of internal resistance. You may be finding some of that yourself to what I'm saying. Because cultural norms are comfortable. I know what I should expect from you, and you know what you should expect from me. By following those norms, we avoid confusion and potential conflict. But at what cost? Most often, someone else's oppression. So if our collective goal really is to center marginalized people, if we truly want to be welcoming congregations, if the lives and well-being of trans and non-binary people actually matter to us, then more of us need to be willing to change. Packnick states that it's not enough to just not be a transphobe. It's not enough to simply believe in the inherent worth and dignity of people of any and all gender expressions and identities. If we want to change, as Packnick stated, she stated that there is work to be done if you want to change. And she said it's time to read more, listen more, ask more, and try again until the answer is more yes than it is no, and until you are more sure than you are not. And friends, you don't need to look far. Many of our fellow trans and non-binary UUs have been working hard to bring the rest of us 
what we need to know to change. Last fall, a new online course was launched called Transgender Inclusion in Congregations. They promote that course as a course for everyone, from novices to those who've been involved in trans issues and identity issues for decades. I'm working with my new minister to get our congregation to include this upcoming, uh, this course in our upcoming adult education program. If we don't do this work, then my congregation needs to take down the statements on its website and elsewhere that claim that we are welcoming to trans and non-binary people. Because I've talked to trans and non-binary people and they won't tell their friends to come to our congregations because they don't think it's necessarily safe. My, my fellow UUs are within our shared Unitarian Universalist faith. The life-preserving needs of marginalized people need to matter more than our comfort or convenience. How we've always done things isn't working. At GA, the gender binary was still firmly in place and faithfully being observed. A few people did cross that artificial gender boundary, but this boundary-breaking behavior caused confusion. Heads turned. Unfortunately, that's enough to tell someone who's already told every day that there's something wrong with them, that they don't belong. It might seem small, but it's another cut to an already open wound. Friends, we need to hear Patrick's prophetic call to shift from being allies to being accomplices. Accomplices willing to actively risk at least our own comfort. We must, because lives depend on us. Our benediction this morning comes from the words of Barb Grieve, one of our co-moderators of the UUA. Blessed are the trailblazers who brought us this far and are still trailblazing, still celebrating. Blessed are the drag queens and kings who remind us not to take life too seriously. Blessed are the gender benders, non-binary, gender fluid, and third gender folk who challenge us to reframe our gender paradigm. Blessed are the young ones who present fearlessly from the start. Blessed are their parents who make space for freedom and love their children fiercely. Blessed are the siblings and relatives who educate, support, and love us as we are. Blessed are the genderqueer youth who are struggling and persist. And persist. Blessed are the 90-year-olds just coming out and those who have been out for decades. Blessed are those whose lives are cut too short. May their stories live on through us. Blessed are the survivors. May they keep on living. Blessed are the allies learning to be accomplices. Blessed are those gathered here today, witnessing, learning, celebrating. May we all commit to continue showing up, fighting for justice, celebrating all the genders in life. Go in peace.